Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Boris Johnson is to call Vladimir Putin to attempt to pressure him to step back from war in Ukraine. The Prime Minister is said to have a brilliantly sharp mind for military tactics. Unless, of course, the British Army are ever ambushed with a cake. The Sue Gray report into lockdown parties at number 10 reportedly won't wait for the result of the London Met's own investigation and will instead publish its findings that politicians and staff at Downing Street not only f- into the small hours but also f- and took shots out of the buttocks of a f- with enough semen to jam the motor of the mechanised bull. Liz Truss defends her use of a private government jet for a recent business trip to Australia. The Foreign Secretary says that the Prime Minister personally assured her that the impact any negative headlines would have on her leadership ambitions would be absolutely worth the money. And finally, the estate agent who attacked Chief Medical Officer Chris Whitty in a park is sentenced to eight weeks in prison, and we'll soon find out just how spacious and airy a 12 by 8 foot box room with no natural light actually is. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another utterly unapologetic episode of IC News, sponsored this week by the Metropolitan Police. The Metropolitan Police, making sure you only get the answers they think you want. We've been off the airwaves for a couple of weeks, and what a couple of weeks it's been for everybody's favourite boisterous blonde bullshitter Boris Johnson. The Downing Street party scandal is still utterly engulfing every aspect of his government, as the Prime Minister continues to duck and weave away from the leaden fists of accountability with all the skill and respect for women that you traditionally expect from somebody like Floyd Mayweather. The Sue Gray report into potential Covid law-breaking parties at Number 10 and across other government offices was expected to be published earlier this week. Instead, it's been hit by a series of delays and a truly extraordinary intervention from Cressida Dick and the London Met. First, it was announced that the police would, in fact, be investigating some of the gatherings Sue Gray has already investigated for them by finding the evidence the police at first insisted didn't exist by interviewing the officers who ran security at the gatherings they at first weren't going to investigate. The Met then said they had no objections to Sue Gray's report being published in full, before then changing their mind and suddenly deciding that actually they now wanted minimal references in her report to the aid gatherings they were themselves now suddenly investigating. The Sue Gray report may now be published on Monday, but will potentially be heavily redacted as a result of the Met's intervention, leading to some political figures labelling the whole affair as a stitch-up designed to protect Boris Johnson. 
Personally, I fail to see why Cressida Dick would do such a thing, as I can't understand why the woman who oversaw the police operation that shot and killed the completely innocent John Charles de Menezes, before somehow being promoted to commissioner and then holding on to her role despite overseeing several utterly unforgivable scandals, such as the failed investigation into Stephen Port's serial murders, the systemic corruption unearthed by the inquiry into the murder of Daniel Morgan, or the murder of Sarah Everard by a serving metropolitan police officer who had been gleefully nicknamed the rapist by his scumbag colleague would ever owe the political establishment any kind of favour. But to those who are less enlightened about the utterly incorruptible nature of our police than I am, it does appear to stink a tiny bit. The weird holding pattern that the Sue Gray report has been trapped in as a result has also been a fucking nightmare for journalists, who have been positively thirsty for its findings for days now. Our conservative correspondent Sebastian Forlock is no different, and this week he's been travelling the multiverse in desperate search of release. Hello, dear listeners. Tis I, Sebastian Forlock, monarchist, submissive, loyal subject, and passionate conservative. I stand before you today as a quantum journalist, a man trapped in perpetual flux. Not a man, but a moment, preserved in amber, suspended in time as the ceaseless eddies of reality stream past him. If I sound a little odd, I ask only that you bear with me, for I report to you today from the only place that makes any sense in the broiling chaos of this week's news cycle. You see, this is Earth Gamma Ypsilon Schrodinger's Limbo 32. It is a pocket realm quite sealed off from the laws of reality, where any and every possibility coexist in a state of quantum uncertainty. Here, scandals become opportunities, tragedies become victories, and the results of inquiries flit constantly between published and censored, and every article about Brexit can be penned to be both pro-leave and remain. <laughs> Only truly crystallizing into existence when the eye of the beholder pauses to observe the winds of change. And if that sounds like complicated, pompous, overwritten nonsense that alludes to a lot, but doesn't actually say anything, congratulations! You've successfully pinpointed the precise location of this pocket of unreality. That's right. This swirling miasma of chaos and potentialities can exist in only one place throughout the entire multiverse. It's the reality that resides exclusively within Boris Johnson's brain, and let me tell you, it's quite the place. For a man like me, living in constant denial about the myriad humiliations his support of the Conservatives have heaped upon him, it's gloriously comforting. I'm practically floating in what I can only describe as a warm, sticky bubble of psychic amniotic fluid. 
It positively tingles with the chaotic energy, and every negative thought or brief moment of paralyzing self-reflection is instantly numbed by an adrenaline surge of either horniness or self-belief. It doesn't matter how god-awful my subconscious tries to hint I might be. In Boris Johnson's head, I just don't believe it. If this is what pathological narcissism feels like, I crave it. It's so gloriously detached. His defense that he didn't realize he was at a party. <laughs> Downing Street willfully broke the rules and so mocked the sacrifices. We have all made. We're shattering the I think he's, he's a lying, conniving piece of work who needs to resign immediately. If he can't follow his own rules, then why would anyone else? Can you hear that? The echoes of physical reality drumming on the skin of this bubble. I'm aware of them, but nothing here truly penetrates. Here, a police investigation into a sitting Prime Minister stops being a humiliating condemnation of his mendacity and corruption, and instead becomes an opportunity. Here, 30 people drinking champagne in a garden stops being a party and instead becomes a work event. Here, ignoring your cancer-stricken wife to pursue a blonde 20 years your junior, ceases being a grotesque betrayal of trust and instead becomes a charming story of true love. The rules don't apply, the consequences are non-existent, and reports that desperately need to be published are instead suspended in a constant state of flux. I feel only the pressure, and not a drop of shame or humility. Do you have any idea how revelatory that is for me, dear listener? I came here thirsty for embarrassment. You know me, after all, I'm a nubbin of a man who craves humiliation. It's all I hunger for, and yet, here, in Boris Johnson's head, I'm filled with such nauseatingly glorious confidence that I simply can't feel shame. It's no wonder that the Prime Minister has dropped all pretense with the apologetic shambles of a man from two weeks ago, once again replaced by the bullish warrior. Why would you ever need to face reality when even the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police is willing to shield you from it? Here, the possibilities are endless. Even as humiliation looms outside among the dank horrors of physical reality, whatever the outcome of the Grey Report, should we ever actually receive it in anything remotely resembling its true and complete form, I can tell you now it simply won't cut through to this dimension. Boris Johnson's mind is a fortress of delusion and solitude. There's not a criticism in the world that can truly penetrate it. 
Any of you hoping that he'll resign, <laughs> I can tell you are in for the shock of your lives. To get rid of him, you're going to find yourself relying on the moral fortitude of the Tory party. And that, dear listeners, is the single most elusive quality of any reality. I'm Sebastian Forlock, bubbling along in a state of narcissistic bliss, reporting for IC News. It's not just Cressida Dick apparently attempting to provide some cover for Boris Johnson at the moment. Operation Save the Big Dog and Operation Red Meat are in full swing, and any day now may accidentally combine into Operation Clifford the Big Red Dog. As part of the raft of policy announcements designed to distract from Partygate, this week saw the government announce yet more tinkering around the edges of the universal credit system. Here's Alison June-Smith to explain them. Universal Credit. You might remember it from hits like, Hey asshole, you're taking 12 weeks to pay me and my kids are starving. Or, I missed that appointment because I had a heart attack. Why are you sanctioning me? And, gee fellas, thanks for taking that extra 20 quid off me just as my household bills shoot through the roof. (laughs) Well, just like steps or herpes, Universal Credit is back again with yet another nasty tragedy for you. The Tories are once again adjusting the social safety net. And this time, it really is to save jobs. Well, I say jobs. I mean job, really. One person's job. And that person is the Prime Minister. Everyone else can get fucked and better take the first shitty gig they get offered or face being plunged into poverty. I'll get back to why these new changes are some seriously questionable bullshit in a moment. But first, let's take a look at the wider context here. There are a couple of things going on in our government at the moment. Ironically enough, the first is that ministers who are spectacularly unqualified for their own jobs, whose entire careers are dependent on Boris Johnson, are doing all they can to prop him up. And the second is Operation Red Meat. That's the apparent codename for the barrage of policy announcements we're currently experiencing— all of which are an attempt to remind Tory voters what they like about the party. And it's an appropriate name, too, because red meat can also be chum, thrown into the water to muddy the living shit out of it. This sudden focus on policy is all an attempt to fart ink into the faces of conservative voters and make them forget all about the endless party scandals and the questions about Boris Johnson's integrity which is where these changes to universal credit come in. In the eyes of the Tory leadership, nothing grinds the gears of their average voter more than the suggestion that a migrant or a good old-fashioned British freeloader might be getting something for nothing out of the state. If you want to fire up that conservative base, you target those kind of people, which is exactly what these changes do. From now on, if you find yourself out of work, you will no longer have three months to try and regain your career in the field you're most experienced in. The grace period is now cut 
to just four weeks. And after that, if you've got the nerve to turn down insulting job offers that don't reflect your skills and experiences, you face losing more of your universal credit payments. This is a shallow attempt to rile up voters with the suggestion that our labor market is kind of fucked right now because these people who lost their jobs in this brutal pandemic are gleefully sitting about on their asses. But that's demonstrable bullshit. According to the Institute for Employment Studies, people are actually leaving unemployment at the fastest rate ever at the moment. The gaping holes in our labor market are due to the fact that there are currently 600,000 fewer people in our labor force than there were pre-pandemic. That figure has very little to do with short-term job seekers and everything to do with the hundreds of thousands of mainly older people who have left work entirely in the face of coronavirus. And who can blame them? Nothing makes early retirement look more appealing than every old person around you dying before they get their money's worth out of their pension. These changes do not do anything to help those seeking work on universal credit. And let's not forget, most of them have worked for years paying into the system on the understanding that it would support them properly if they ever found themselves unemployed. What these changes do do is appeal to the I'm all right, Jack, voters who hate everything about a welfare state they think they'll never need to use. At the same time, they attempt to force experienced workers into short-term work that isn't even vaguely related to their skill sets. And at a time when benefits aren't remotely keeping up with the increasing cost of living in the first place, even further cuts to universal credit will do nothing to help people find the right jobs they need to thrive. Cutting the grace period to just four weeks means that many new job seekers now face cuts to their support before they've even received their first universal credit payment. It's pure bullshit. But what more can you expect from a government like this? The problem is not unemployed people desperately seeking suitable work. It's somehow still employed politicians who should have done the decent thing and fucked off to join the queue at the job center weeks ago. I'm Allison June Smith, and it's time to wake up and smell Therese Coffee, people. This lot do not care about you. Reporting for IC News. As the Tory party anxiously await the results of Sue Gray's inquiry into the long-running Partygate scandal, the eyes of government whips are currently on any MP suspected of teetering on the edge of submitting a letter of no confidence in the PM. The internal bickering between Johnson loyalists and some of the new intake of Conservative MPs has seen government whips accused of bullying and harassment, with some MPs alleging that they have even been blackmailed into supporting the ailing Prime Minister. The outpouring of concern about the conduct of whips came to a head last week, when former Minister Nusrat Ghani claimed that one had even told her that her Muslimness was part of the reason she lost her role as a Transport Minister in the 2020 reshuffle. Ms Garney didn't name the chief whip Mark Spencer, but he then immediately identified himself on Twitter as the man she was accusing. He claimed that the accusation was entirely false and derogatory, despite the fact that he somehow immediately knew that a conversation that had never happened had apparently been with him. In short, party discipline at number 10 seems to be in significantly shorter supply than actual parties, and IC News wants to know what the fuck has been happening behind the scenes. 
Our undercover correspondent Danny Sutcliffe has been embedded deep in the parliamentary machine this week as he attempts to get to the bottom of exactly what's been going on among Conservative MPs. Hello, Sam. Tis I, the Right Honourable Daniel Mountbatten Excelsior Sutcliffe, MP, taking your call here in my parliamentary offices. Danny, what's happening? Jeeves, more caviar, please, and make it snappy, you reprobate. I'll go at once. (sighs) Fucking hell, Sam, you nearly blew my cover just then. I'm in deep here, you knobhead. You can't be calling me Danny, they'll be all over it. This is a bit more extravagant than we discussed, Danny. You were meant to infiltrate the House of Commons by getting a low-level job in the civil service. I wanted you to get a general impression of the feelings in the Tory bunker, not pose as an actual MP. I know, but I had to do something to get these pricks to talk to me. As soon as they hear a northern accent, most of these eating ponces can't even see you anymore. I was getting ignored so much, I thought I was going mad. Do you know what I did on my second night here in the bar? I literally stood up in front of Jacob Rees-Mogg and windmilled me dick six inches from his face. He didn't even blink, pal. He just got up and closed a window. I'm really struggling to see where this is leading, Danny. I just panicked, mate. I was trying anything to get him to notice me. I got asked if I was a cleaner about six times, and then I just snapped and started claiming I was one of the new Red Wall MPs. Suddenly, everyone wanted to talk to me. Didn't it occur to you that somebody might, you know, check? Are you having a laugh? Can you tell one story apart from one another? It's like trying to learn the names of all 101 Dalmatians. They don't even know the towns in the north. I got asked who I represent once, and I just said Povington on the Gallagher. He just fucking nodded. Christ, they really are distracted at the moment, aren't they? Mate, it's Bedlam. I've seen more organised after-parties the night after the Hacienda. And there's a similar amount of cocaine kicking about, actually. That might explain a lot. Well, let's just focus on the main allegation I wanted you to investigate then, which are these stories about bullying and blackmail from the Whips. If they think you're one of the new intake of MPs, surely you've had some contact from the Whips in the middle of this crisis. Oh, mate, they've been all over me. The moment I said I was one of them, the rumours started. They come in for you, Redwall boy. They know you're a pork pie plotter. They'll make you swear loyalty to Boris. It was like Chinese whispers, and I don't mean the ones you can sometimes hear coming out of Barry Gardner's office. I just knew the whips were going to come and crank the pressure up on me. Apparently, they've been leaving dead pigs in people's lockers and everything. Well, I'm far too streetwise for that shit, mate. I knew exactly how to handle it. Prison rules. Danny, please tell me you didn't... I walked straight into the commons with a pool ball in a sock and a crack Mark Spencer round the gob with it. Then I stood over his fallen body and screamed, I'm the right honourable daddy now. And to cut a long story short, I'm pretty sure Drawsdin's getting a new swimming pool. <laughs> Danny, I wanted you to see if you could confirm these allegations and expose the toxic culture in Westminster. Instead, you've just inserted yourself into it. You've not corroborated any of the things Spencer is meant to have said or done. Well, it's pretty difficult to corroborate anything when your jaw's broken in three places, Sam. But it did get me a corner office, and Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak have both offered me a future job in their cabinets. Unbelievable. 
So you're saying that standards in the House have degenerated to the point that physical violence is now an effective way to climb the political ladder? I don't even think I'm the first. Apparently, Pretty Patel's quite known for just taking people out at the knee with a hammer if you look at her funny. And Michael Gove's got a kitchenette in his office with a knife rack shaped like a human back. They reckon he's like Colin Farrell in Daredevil. What, you mean he can hit a target with a knife from anywhere in the room? No, I mean he's clearly coked off his tits and enjoying his role in what is clearly an absolute shit show far more than he should be. Rest in peace, Michael Clark Duncan. You deserved so much better. Let's just get to the main point, shall we, Danny? I agree, Sam. And yes, Ben Affleck was horribly miscast. No, focus, please. All right, plummeting standards in Parliament. Yeah, I get you. In summary, Sam, it's absolute chaos here at the moment. The old place is basically a riding tank of lampreys biting chunks out of each other in an attempt to rise to the top. It's like the last days of Caesar, except they don't come at you in knives. They ambush you with a cake and a bottle of Bollinger. It's the same posture in alpha male bollocks from a bunch of posh schoolboy tosspots that it's always been. And your proposed solution to all that, if there is one? As always, Sam, it's the old eight ball in a sock. And I've already passed it on to Sue Gray. I'm Danny Sutcliffe, and... Jeeves, where's my fucking caviar? Reporting for IC News. (sighs) Danny Sutcliffe there, doing about as good a job of representing his constituents as anybody else at the moment. His report brings us to the end of our broadcast, and we hope that you've enjoyed it, regardless of how instantly dated it inevitably became the moment the Sue Gray report was actually released. Look, I'm not a fucking psychic, alright? I can only do my best. We'll be digesting the potentially nuclear Russian fallout at the same time next week, but until then, we leave you, as always, with the headlines you may have missed. Chris Brown suggests that he is only being accused of raping a woman in 2020 because he is releasing new music. Honestly though, if I had a Chris Brown song for every time Chris Brown was accused of abusing a woman, I'd be releasing a Chris Brown album every 10 minutes. Number 10 insists that its planned national insurance increase will go ahead, despite the fact that mounting energy bills will soon kill off most of the country's pensioners every winter before we ever have to pay for their social care. Neil Young and Joni Mitchell pull their music off Spotify in protest at misinformation on the Joe Rogan podcast, in a move that will cost both artists millions of pathetically tiny fractions of a cent. And finally, following the Dominic Cummings controversy, Barnard Castle reports that 2021 was its best ever year for tourist numbers, as thousands flocked to the ruins to test if they could see what all the fuss is about. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye. Hello again. It's me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with a right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind our bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. 
You've got to be quick, though. This deal is limited to the first 500 patrons, and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show, and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support, and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger me, and if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar! <laughs> 